My prayers prove to me that I don't think very much like God thinks. And I know that seems obvious for me to say that God's up here and I'm down here, so obviously we don't think the same way, but... So you would think that my prayers would sound differently, like I would be asking more about what God would want or what He wants me to do in the situation than what I actually do, which is ask God to give me what I want, to do what I think is fair, and to give me what I believe is just. Most of my prayer life is spent telling God how much He ought to think and act the way I think and act. Now, in my head, I know that what I want isn't always what God wants. And you would think that that would cause me to interact with God and others differently, or that I would be a little bit more humble in the way that I approach God. Or that when things don't turn out the way I want, that I would never get upset with God because I would just assume that the way that I am viewing the situation or the world is incomplete or is somehow flawed, but that's rarely how I respond because it's not often how I think. Each of us probably secretly wish that God was a little bit more like we are, that my enemies should be God's enemies, that my problems should be his problems, that my politics should be his politics, and that what I want for me should be what God wants for me. Now, I don't, I don't want God to be more like you. I just want him to be more like me. That's, that's the way it is. And because of this, I think we can end up creating a version of God that doesn't exist or live a Christianity that isn't very Christ-like. And I don't think we're the first ones to do that. I think this has been a consistent problem throughout history. So Jesus shows up in the human story to call us back to the way that God had originally set things. Jesus' phrase for this, like the whole world being under the authority, the dominion, and the rule and reign of God, is the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus said was to repent of our sin that's all of the different ways in which we live without the authority of God in our life. Then he says to turn to God, right? Like turn from our sins, turn back to God. And then he says, and the reason why we ought to do this is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now available for you to begin living as though God is actually in charge because he is. And then to work for God's will being done and the world around us. Um, and then he spends the rest of the New Testament, or at least the first four books of the life of Jesus, teaching what it looks like to live under the authority of God, to live as though we chose to value what God values, to love the way that he loves. And this is what Jesus unpacks in the Sermon on the Mount, how to live this way. And he starts off with what's known as the Beatitudes, the blessed are statements, and that's what we're looking at in this series in the Upside Down. So God creates everything like this. Mankind turns it on its head. The Jewish people turn it on its head. And Jesus shows up to turn it right side up again, is what Jesus does. And he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is it? We looked at this last week, but what does it mean to be blessed? God blesses those. It means that God gives his favor. 
So there's a lot of things that you and I are chasing in the world to give us the things that we want, like money or fame or influence or power or authority. And the reason why we want those things is because what we can get if we leverage those things, satisfaction, contentment, joy, and fulfillment. And all Jesus is doing is saying that those things that you actually want with all of this other stuff that you're chasing, you can get by cutting out the middleman and going straight to God. And God will give those things. He favors those who live for this alternate reality that he's calling us to, the original reality, the upside down. If we live counterculturally, we'll get God's favor. We'll find those things that come from God is what we'll get. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for justice? Well, the Greek word that's translated, I mean, I think we get hunger and thirst. Like you just, man, I gotta have this, right? Like you've hungered and thirst. Like you've actually probably hungered over food and thirsted over drink, right? I've hungered and thirsted over a lot of things and that's where we're gonna leave it, right there. But to hunger and thirst for justice. Like I, I think we can empathize with that. Like we've felt that sensation. You've seen something that was wrong in the world and said, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something about it. Well, the word that that comes from in the Greek is um, dikaios. I don't speak ancient Greek. So dikaios, dikaios, um, D-I-K-A-I-O-S. And it means for that which is just or that which is right. And it conveys the idea of living rightly in accordance with God's standard of morality and virtue. So Jesus says, God blesses those who genuinely hunger. They hunger for a life lived in accordance with God's standard of morality and justice. And I don't know if, if that would be an accurate description of my posture towards my own performance or the world around me. I hunger and thirst for myself, for the world, to live in accordance with God's standard of morality and virtue. The King James actually translates this word, D-I-K-A-I-O-S, dikaios, as the word righteous. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It means to be in a right standing with God. A little rendering then of what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is this, that God favors those who hunger and thirst for integrity, upright living, and conformity to God's moral standards. There's this, he says that you have a hunger for, like you have this internal expectation and desire that you would stop sinning. And then an external hope or optimism that the rest of the entire world could start to function the way God intended. That's what Jesus says God is looking for, and that's who he favors. Those who are frustrated with their own sin and the brokenness in the world because they will be satisfied. I've always thought of justice as um, kind of like, like punishment or vengeance. Right? Like if, like if you have done injustice to me, it would be as though the ground between us is level, but now you've dug this huge hole. And going over the sermon uh, notes with a friend of mine, he said, but I think in this case that we are responsible for how deep that hole got. 
because we're in control of how offended we become over the things that other people do. And he says, and then wouldn't we also be equally responsible for whether or not that hole got filled? I thought that was a really good line. And I told him that I was going to steal that from my sermon and not give him credit, which I'm only partially doing by letting you know I'm not the one who came up with that thought, but I'm also not giving you his name because I know that that would embarrass him. But if somebody dug a hole between you and me when Jesus says that God blesses those or favors those who hunger and thirst for justice, I feel like the person who dug that hole, I should be able to grab their shovel and smack them with it because of the hole that they dug. But that's not the, like, that's, that's vengeance. And when you and I hear the word justice, isn't that kind of what we're thinking? Like we're thinking paybacks. Like when we say, where in the world do you see injustice and what are you doing about it? We feel like that's a call to arms to punish those who've dug holes in their relationship with us. But that is not the idea. Like vengeance belongs to God. It's not mine. That's what the scripture says. When the Bible says or when Jesus said that blessed are those or favored are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what he's saying is that or for justice God favors those who seek a restoration of the way it was intended to be. Like I know of a church out on the West Coast who has a justice ministry. And their justice ministry is not about staging protests or sit-ins or blocking highways. Their justice ministry is actually providing food for those who are deprived shelter for those who are homeless, job training for those who are unemployed. Like it's a path towards health and human flourishing. Like they actually, in calling their ministry a justice ministry, they, they're, they're capturing the emotions of our present age, our culture, right? But then in their fleshing out of what it means to bring justice, they're actually calling people back to what Jesus had in mind when he said, that God favors those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, a restoration of that which is broken and screwed up in the world. And Jesus isn't the first one to come up with the idea. This is what God has intended all along. So the Hebrew prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do right and seek justice. What does he mean by seeking justice? It's to defend the oppressed. It's not that you attack the oppressor, you defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. How would I take up the cause of the fatherless? By becoming a father to them, a mentor, a big brother, and to plead the case of the widow. What does it mean to plead the case of the widow? To make sure that she has a means of sustaining herself even if she has lost all of her providers. Micah says in chapter 6, verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does God require of you? To act justly. Like to just do the right thing when the wrong thing has been done. And to show mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jeremiah says in chapter 22, verse 3, he says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is just, what is fair, and what is right. It's not like our... Our search for justice, I think, has led us away from the kingdom of God and towards the things of the kingdom of man that make us feel better because those who've done wrong have had now wrong done to them. So now they know how we feel. 
And what Jesus does is like, that's upside down. Like that's not the way it ought to be. That those who've repented of their personal contribution to all that is upside down will repent of that, turn to God, and put things right side up. It's that I don't dig a hole in their yard. I simply refill the hole that was dug. I do what is just and right. How? He goes on to say, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And I believe that this is the reason why the very next thing that Jesus says that God favors is those who show mercy. Because he knows that we want to punish those with shovels. Because I see holes that have been dug by previous generations, and some of us are still standing in holes that have been dug in the past, and we want justice. And what we mean by that is, we want somebody to pay for the hole that was dug. That's what we want. So Jesus immediately says, God favors those who show mercy. That's not natural at all. Like that, there's nothing that could be more upside down to the way that I actually feel about those who have hurt me is to show them mercy. Man, I don't want to show them mercy at all. Man, I... I want, I want freaking vengeance, man. I want them to feel what I felt. I want them to rue the day. I want them, right? Like I, I want them to suffer so much for what they've done to me that remembering what they did to me becomes the greatest regret of their life. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in your life that you feel that way about too. And what Jesus says is God shows favor not to those who punish the oppressor, but those who fix what was oppressed. Those who bind the broken and the wounded. Not those who break and then wound. Those who broke and wound. He says to show mercy is what he says to do. Why? Because vengeance is God's job not mine. My job is to undo the evil that was done. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you, John the Apostle says, about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, not when they punish those who did wrong. What proves that I am living rightly in an upside-down world is not that I hurt those who hurt others. I do what is right for those who have been hurt. I show mercy. That is what God favors. So what about the person who did it? We show mercy. We leave that person in the hands of God, is what we do. In fact, this verse is the only promise that Jesus makes in this list of the things that God favors that we get exactly back what we put in. And he says, those who show mercy will receive what? Mercy. 
then I think it could be said that those who don't show mercy receive no, what? Mercy, right? If we show mercy, we receive mercy. Jesus goes on to say later on in this very sermon that if we don't forgive men their trespasses against us, then neither will our Father in heaven forgive us our trespasses against him. And that's a very heavy verse. Like think through what Jesus is actually saying, that your inability to forgive an oppressor like, like this brings up all kinds of emotions for us. That those who have hurt, those who have attacked, are, if we don't forgive them, then neither will our Father in heaven forgive me. My dad has this saying where he says, um, we can't be right with God if we're not right with others. Jesus says that later on in the Sermon on the Mount again when he says, if you bring an offering into the temple and when you get to the temple door, now I would imagine that all of us would agree that it's good to give an offering to the Lord. It's a recognition that all that we have comes from him. And the Bible even says that it's an act of worship. The Bible has lots of instructions on the way in which we're to give this, but he says, if you bring this offering to God and bringing in your offering to the temple, you remember a hole that's been dug between you and another person. If you remember somebody that you have ought against, the King James says, that you are, you are non-reconciled with, you, are, you have a broken relationship with. Jesus says, first go reconcile with that person and then you can come back and God will receive your offering. So if right now, you can think of somebody in your life, in your world, that has dug a hole in your yard, and you're not going to stop until they fill that back in or until you crush them with the shovel they dug it with, right? There's nothing God wants from you right now other than your willingness to forgive them and for you to fill that hole back in. And that's a tough thing to hear. Because he says, leave your offering at the door. I don't want it if there's a hole in the yard between you and another person. Go and fill in the hole first, and then I'll receive your offering. Why? Because this is what God has done for us. James says that you can't say you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't love the brother or sister that you have seen. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13 says, since God shows you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because you need to remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Why would any of us want to do this? Peter gives us the answer in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy, because the scripture says, You must be holy because I am holy. Everything that God has done for us, Peter says, you now are responsible. If you have received forgiveness from God, you now are responsible. If you're going to repent of your sins, turn to God and live in this kingdom of God, which is at hand, you now are a representative. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that you are now an ambassador 
of God. I represent not this world, but the kingdom of heaven. I represent the upside down, the alternate reality that God intended us to live in. And as a representative of that kingdom, I live under its laws, not this law. And that law says, Sean has been freely forgiven, therefore Sean will freely forgive. That's what it says. Since God is righteous, Sean will hunger and thirst for righteousness. Since God sets broken things straight, Sean will set broken things straight. Since God defends the oppressed and takes care of the fatherless and the widow, then Sean will defend the case of the oppressed and take care of the fatherless and the widow. This is what it means to live in, in the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is now at hand, but it honestly isn't at hand in your life if this isn't a description of the way you actually live your life which is what God's called us to do. In Ephesians, Paul says in chapter five, verse one, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you're his kid. I do expect my kids to live with my values, and I don't think I'm a bad dad for that. I think that's part of the job of being a dad, is to keep teach your kids what you know to be right and wrong. And those of us who are going to call ourselves the children of God, we now have the responsibility to live with God's kingdom values, driving all of the things that we actually do in this world. That's what it looks like. So the kingdom of God calls us to live in an alternate reality, the way that God originally intended everything to be. And any instinct contrary to Jesus' instructions here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is a signal that we're living in the upside down. And it's time to repent of that. God, I'm sorry, and turn back to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in a world filled with injustice, oppression, corruption, greed, selfishness, and lies, we are tempted to respond in one of two ways to become apathetic, cynical, or to give up. Because what's the use? We're never going to fix anything. Or to rage and to blend in and to do what they do, to fight fire with fire. But bro, we're called to fight fire with water, the exact opposite, right? Like, what did MLK say? He said, you can't drive out darkness with darkness. Only light does that. You can't drive out hate with hate. Only love does that. Now, he was a pastor. He, like, he, he gets this from the Sermon on the Mount. That's where he gets that idea. It's because it's what the scripture says. Now, Jesus doesn't say that we're supposed to ignore the evil and the oppression and the brokenness in the world. Like, we should point it out. But to whatever brokenness that we point out in the world that is not as it ought to be, we are now responsible to get off our butt and to do something about it. Like it's not good enough for me to rail against what? Families in, I don't know, detained forever at the border or to rail against people who've come into our country illegally gaining benefits. Like what are you actually doing to solve the plight of those people that are running here. Like, 
it's easy for us to ring bells and blow horns and, um, I don't know, to repost stuff on Facebook and to point out the darkness on the other team. But what God's actually called us to do is to be light in a dark world, to be the solution, and to show mercy for those that we still see as dark. Because the truth is, every single one of us at some point in our life, we're also in the dark. And God didn't do to us what we're doing to them. So if we would gladly receive mercy from God in an effort to live more righteously in a broken world, then Jesus is saying, doesn't it make sense that you would be the kind of person who would show mercy to others who are contributing to the darkness in the world in the hope that they too would turn from their darkness and seek after righteousness? Like the way that Jesus transformed the world was through mercy towards those who needed it most by showing love and kindness and modeling to them what it looked like to live righteously as a whole filler rather than a whole digger. And then all he did was ask everybody else to turn from their contribution to hole making in the world, to pick up a shovel and not smack the other person who dug the hole, but fill in the hole that they dug is what he asked them to do. So where do you see evil in the world? And what are you right now doing to help the situation rather than just condemn the other people who've made it this way? What evil do you see in your own heart? And what parts of your life would God describe as unrighteous? And can you honestly say that you hunger and thirst for a living right? Like, I think we confess our sin when we feel bad about it. I'm wondering how much of our sin we grieve without getting caught. Because he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. It's that attitude toward your sin in your heart that brings you to a place where you can get over and get victory over that sin. That leads you to the kind of person who then is compassionate towards the sin that you see in others. And then they can receive that satisfaction. And none of that's possible without mercy. Mercy first that we get from God and the mercy that we first extend to other people. So where do you need to show mercy? To those who've made mistakes. To those who've personally let you down. To those that you deem who are far from God, who are contributing to more hole digging in the world or more darkness in the world. And where do you honestly need to show mercy? Like if you've called on God to forgive you, and save you, then did God forgive you and save you, yes or no? Yes. Then when will you finally let go of the shame that you've been carrying over a sin that God has already forgiven you for? Or maybe the shame that you feel would be an indication that you've never received forgiveness. I don't know, and if that's the case, God is willing to show mercy toward you and me who don't deserve it so that he can bring a, about in our lives light and righteousness in the place of darkness and personal brokenness and corruption. I can't give that to you. God can. 
Jesus said, if you repent of your sin and turn to him, then you also can live in his upside down. Do you accept that what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, pays the debt off that you've accumulated before a holy and righteous God? Maybe say, I've always, I've always believed in Jesus. I don't know if you do or not, but let's just pretend you do believe in that. All right, great. Since believing that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection pays off your sin, have you asked God to forgive you for that sin? Have you committed to God your willingness to begin following Jesus with the rest of your life? If not, why not, right? Who is it that you need to forgive? Where do you need to show mercy? What evil in the world do you now begin to become a part of the solution for? Because that's what I want you to pray about. So if you would, bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. And you do call us to pray for the evil in the world. So while people often mock the whole idea of sending thoughts and prayers, we do pray, but we also get off our butt and do something about it. Why? Because you got up and did something about it. You saw us from heaven not be able to earn righteousness through the law by our own good works, and you showed up in the human story. The scriptures said, Jesus, I believe it's Philippians, that you took the humble form of a servant and became man and suffered the humiliation of dying on the cross, looking forward to the joy on the other side of that humiliation that we could be reconciled to you. And for those who need to be reconciled, I pray that they would. If you feel far from God and you don't want to be anymore, tell him, God, I don't want to be far from you anymore. Save me, forgive me, help me to follow you. God, help us to hate the sin that is in us. Help us to hunger and thirst for personal righteousness. So what sin is in you that needs to be repented of? Repent of that. Where do you see darkness in the world that needs to be solved and what can you do about it? We can't solve all the problems in the world, but what's something that you see at work that's not right that should be made right? And what can you do about it? And who do you need to show mercy to? God, thank you for your mercy. Help us to extend that to others, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all say together, Amen.